and welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent Jonathan Carl. And I'm ABC News Political Director Rick Klein. Democratic National uh, Convention Week continues here, Rick. And uh, I, I, I got to say, uh, looking ahead, I'm gonna, I want to look ahead before we talk about last night. Big, big moment uh, on the virtual stage. You know, I mean, a huge moment. And you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Um, is this have to do with um, Kamala Harris? Uh, well, well, she will be speaking. No, I'm not talking about that. What do you got? Not, I'm not talking about Barack Obama. Billie Eilish. Billie oh, Eilish yeah. is going to yes, be performing. Yes, I, I mean, always seems a bit Billie Eilish fan. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. No, I, first of all, I absolutely am. She is terrific, um, and I believe she is definitely old enough to vote. And she is, uh, <laughs> she is, she is awesome. And that's going to be good, you know. I mean, the the, uh, the the Springsteen video was one thing on the first night, but I, I, I think far more cutting edge. You know, this has not been this is this has not been a particularly, uh, I would argue, forward-looking uh, convention. I mean, there's been there's been a fair amount of forward-looking, but it, that, that, you know, when you, when I look at this lineup and I see people like Chuck Hagel, Colin Powell, John Kerry, a big thing on. John McCain, John Kasich. For, for a minute, I felt like I had woken up, and I was in at two thousand three or maybe nineteen ninety eight. Uh, um, so I, it, interesting choices, uh, interesting choices uh, to to see as uh, as uh, spokesperson for Julian Castro put it. Uh, uh, first of all, more Republicans uh, on the stage, uh, or as many Republicans as there were Hispanics. But but even beyond that, um, you know, a, 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 some of it feels a little a little stale. I think uh, look, Joe Biden's got a long history. He's been at Democratic conventions going back to 1972. Spoken at a bunch. It's even of them. longer than you, Rick. <laughs> longer than me. Longer than Bill Clinton, who's spoken at everyone since 1980. And I, I think he had a lot of a lot of friends and a lot of archival footage to get through. There's another though. There's kind of a sleeper headline in all of this, John. And you know, I'm not gonna. I'm not going to disagree with your point about uh, a lot of backward looking, but uh, the, there have been prominent women dominating this convention from the start. Uh, Michelle Obama, uh, you know, had a, a moment that's going to be almost impossible to top on Monday night. Uh, Dr. Biden speaking from a, an empty classroom in a really poignant moment uh, on on Tuesday. Uh, now it's Kamala Harris's turn, and the people that are coming before her: Hillary Clinton, Nancy Pelosi, Elizabeth Warren. Um, our guest today, uh, Governor Governor. Uh, Michelle Lujan Grisham of, of New Mexico. There, there are a lot of very powerful, very prominent women, including many women of color, who have been owning this convention. And I think that in itself is a statement. As much as we're looking back, as much as we're thinking about Joe Biden's breadth of history, he's trying to show that he gets it and he knows how the party and the country have changed. Yeah, certainly. And, and uh, you know, if you, if you, uh, you think about uh, tonight, uh, Kamala Harris, um, she she spoke as, as as she has pointed out uh, in the the 2012 convention. Uh, this is this is a huge moment, not just for Kamala Harris, not just for the Biden Harris uh, uh, ticket, but this is a huge moment for uh, you know for Democrats. Uh, she uh, has been tapped not just as uh, the vice presidential nominee, uh, but but effectively as 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 the future leader of this party. I would argue. Yeah, and, and this is the moment where this, the, the, the man and Joe Biden has called himself a bridge um, uh, to, to another generation of Democrats. Uh, 
gets to gets to start to build that bridge with his with his running mate. And you know, I've been struck by how little Kamala Harris there's been until now. Um, it's really been a focus on on Joe Biden. Um, I think you're going to hear from from Senator Harris a lot of the themes that, that others have done of, of Joe Biden being cast as perfect for this moment and this moment being more than about policy, but kind of an antidote to the entire Trump era. And I think uh, Jill, Bi Jill Biden, Dr. Biden, uh, the vice president's wife, uh, was was probably the most effective messenger on that point with that speech last night. So uh, while I, you know, said that it felt parts of the, uh, the, the, certainly the speaker lineup felt a little stale and a little backward looking, I've got to say that the, the highlight of night two was the roll call. The roll call, which is usually when in a traditional convention, you know, you go around to the delegations and, you know, some old Paul steps up and, you know, says, you know, how the delegation is, is voting. Uh, but this was rather innovative and fascinating to watch, both uh, visually, uh, the, the, the symbolism in terms of who the Democrats chose uh, to speak from each state. But they went around uh, to each state. Um, and, and shot, you know, beginning with that, that incredible shot from Selma on the, uh, on the Pettus Bridge, uh, all the way through really probably a highlight of the convention. And usually, usually it's the thing we all ignore. Yeah, I, this, of everything that we've seen that's been different this week, I hope and trust that this will be the thing that changes. Get rid of the stale speeches and the, the, the weird hats and the self-congratulations of a roll call and bring it around the country. And John, if nothing else, if nothing else, bring on some Rhode Island delicacies. L let's, let's, let's play this because this is, this was the indisputable king of the tour of all 57 states and territories from, from the roll call. Rhode Island, the ocean state, where our restaurant and fishing industry have been decimated by this pandemic, are lucky to have a governor, Gina Raimondo, whose program lets our fishermen sell their catches directly to the public, and our state appetizer, calamari, is available in all 50 states. The calamari comeback state of Rhode Island casts one vote for Bernie Sanders and 34 votes for the next president, Joe Biden. I am all in for the calamari comeback and the chowda accent that brings it and everything about this and the entire roll call. I found it. Look, I, I haven't done the a lot visual, of travel. To, to describe the visual of that. Well, That's yeah, what I mean. We're on a beach in the ocean state with a, uh, a chef wearing a black mask, deadly serious, looking right at the camera like he is going to hurt you if you don't like his food, holding a delectable dish of uh, a fried calamari with those hot peppers like Rhode Islanders uh, serve them. Like, the, the, the whole tour around, I haven't done a lot of traveling the last couple of months, John, I don't know about you. For some reason, I haven't had the opportunity to get around as much. I loved that that tour of the country. It was inspiring. It was beautiful. It was fun. And that's what, the, that's what this should be about. That's what politics should be about. More of this, please, and less speeches going forward. Let's make that a formal rule. And in terms of the speeches, the clear highlight on night two was Jill Biden. Uh, Jill Biden, as speaking from her old classroom, uh, very natural uh, in in her delivery. And uh, let's play let's play a, a quick excerpt of her talking about the soul of America. We're coming together and holding on to each other. We're finding mercy and grace in the moments we might have once taken for granted. We're seeing that our differences are precious and our similarities infinite. We have shown that the heart of this nation still beats with kindness and courage. 
That's the soul of America Joe Biden is fighting for now. Speaking about Joe Biden, but also hammering uh, an overarching theme of this convention, which is uh, one of, of, of unity and trying to get beyond the, the deep, deep divisions uh, that, that, that face this country right now. Now, Rick, we are joined now by our guest, the governor of New Mexico, Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham. Governor Grisham, thank you for joining us on Powerhouse Politics. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me. So I, I, I want to begin with an apology. Uh, I, 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 on this very podcast, it was about three months ago or so, uh, Rick Klein, my, my co-host, our political director here at ABC, stated flatly, I mean, all but declared that you were going to be Joe Biden's uh, running mate. And, and I, 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 you know, I, I hope we didn't jinx it. Rick has got a long history. It was Rick who jinxed <laughs> Sorry. it. I mean, you know, look, Rick, I get things wrong. He's got, a tr- he's got a long history of making awful predictions. And, and, and as soon as I heard it, I, you know, I was just thinking, oh, man, what did he just do? So anyway, I, but, 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 we, but we're thrilled to have you join us right now. Um, and, and, and seriously, before we get to the, the convention and, 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 and the look ahead, what was that process like? What did, what did, you, what did you learn about Joe Biden in that, in, that, in that, you know, search for a running mate process? Uh, two things, you know, uh, he hasn't changed one bit. I of all the individuals and incredible women that went through the full vetting process, uh, I, I may not have had the strongest relationship with the vice president, but he was incredibly kind and genuine. He apologized to all of us about how painful, because he knows how that works, uh, the uh, vetting process is. And it makes you, I mean, you literally have to think about did I really do that in college? And was that an idea that I was promoting? Because if I had known that I'd have to explain that uh, more than 40 years later, I might have changed my mind. So it is really incredible about the depth of which uh, they figure out what makes you tick, how you got to be where you are, and what you did in every component of the course of your personal and professional lives since you were in high school. Uh, amazing. I, I can only imagine the process. It is one that I, I, I do not think I could survive, <laughs> but, um, but, but, a, but a, a, a fascinating process. Now, looking, looking at the convention, um, I, I wanted to get your take on, on some pretty direct and blunt criticism of the way this convention has come forward by, um, by uh, Julian Castro, former keynote speaker at a, at a, at a Democratic convention. He, he obviously, uh, the, um, the, the sole uh, major candidate for the nomination that was a Latino, uh, he has expressed concerns that there is not enough representations from Latinos in this agenda. And he's worried that, as he put it, uh, the Democrats could win the battle here, win the election, but lose the war as, you know, suffer a, a loss of support among Hispanics in this country. What's, what's, your, what's your take on his criticism? Uh, I actually appreciate that the secretary and uh, an incredible uh, presidential candidate, right, the first Latino ever uh, to be in the mix and to demonstrate so powerfully the issues in terms of dignity and equality for minority families, I think he did an excellent job. So I'm going to do both. Uh, I agree with his uh, critique that we cannot 
And we keep doing that, that we need a, to develop the relationships with the Hispanic Latino voters and communities in this country, which are incredibly diverse and different, right? The, the Hispanic communities in New Mexico, Latinos, not even a way in which we describe most of us in New Mexico, and that's fine, but it's a recognition of who we are, where we came from, how our values have been shaped in each of our communities, and that requires developing relationships. And in a abbreviated uh, COVID world convention, it's really difficult to do that. So I give the convention with all of the individuals that they've brought forward, young people, old people, brown people, uh, black people, Asian American. I mean, they're really working hard to say, look, this is who America is. We're an incredibly rich and diverse uh, set of individuals that make up the fabric of this beautiful country. And we've been both disregarded and left behind. I think that those are powerful messages for people to see and to hear. However, the secretary's right that if we don't utilize that as a springboard in each of our states, and I can do better, and so can Julian. I need Julian to remind every New Mexico uh, minority voter to get out there and to make a change in this election season. I need to do the same thing in Texas, in Arizona, in Nevada, in California, in Florida, in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin. And that, we don't have a whole lot of time to get there. So I think it's a combination of those issues that it's too easy to broad brush. We didn't do enough at the convention. We haven't done enough before. We just need to keep at it. So, so do, you, do you agree with his former spokesman, Sawyer Hackett, who said, and this is a direct quote, it is completely unacceptable that there are as many Republicans speaking at the convention as Latinos? Uh, I disagree. And the reason that I disagree is this is a completely unique set of circumstances, which include the fact that part of the vice president's message is leadership means that we have to build bridges in ways that we didn't think about uh, ever before. And that means highlighting and recognizing that Republicans want a credible, truthful, fair, visionary in the White House and not somebody else. And I agree. Uh, do I wish we had more time and that there were more folks, including the secretary? And quite frankly, I have a very close relationship with his twin brother, who is a remarkable congressional leader. And the Hispanic Congressional Caucus is really building. We're seeing more Hispanic individuals and Latinas. New Mexico is going to elect a brand new Latina to Congress, right? So we've got more folks in these leadership positions in the mix. And I do wish that there more of them would be highlighted. Uh, but I don't agree that it is a failure of the convention's design. I think the convention's really focused on changing the divisiveness in this country and recognizing that we can do much better for all my communities of color if we're bridging those divides. And I think that that's the message the vice president's trying to bring through the convention. Governor, I know you're going to talk about climate change uh, this evening on, on Wednesday night. I've been proud of the uh, of what you've been able to establish in New Mexico um, in, uh, in in renewables. But thinking about this moment that we're in with the COVID nineteen crisis and the economic crisis that's around it, is it is it 
is it necessary for Democrats, for progressives to kind of calibrate their expectations on how aggressively climate change can get tackled uh, because of the economic realities? Do, do we have to, uh, as a country, put this, put some of these things at least a, a little bit to the side, given the economic crisis? Uh, no. And I will tell you why. I mean, we know how to do essential work, which means making sure that energy is being produced so that we can provide safe uh, care and life-saving care in hospitals so that we know that when uh, you turn the light switch on, we know that seniors in places like Arizona, where uh, not having an air conditioner is a life or death situation uh, because of the heat indexes in particular communities. Uh, this is both, we, and New Mexico's done a great job in identifying COVID safe practices for essential workers in the energy sector in particular, right? And then two, uh, this is a moral imperative, like protecting people from COVID. Climate change is an existential threat, rebuilding our economy, particularly a two trillion dollar strategy by Vice President Biden is a game changer for New Mexico because we have a very aggressive energy, clean energy transition strategy in the state. We've got some of the, if not the largest wind energy investments in the country. We're producing now more solar than ever before energy. And you're going to hear me talk a little bit about that. This is a place where you can do a parallel. We protect young workers. We engage new technology. We transform the economy. We save the planet. And we can be COVID safe in the way in which we support that energy work. Um, and quite frankly, a lot of that work is outdoors. So it is an incredible opportunity for this country, including laying fiber for broadband. Governor, you mentioned COVID, and of course, that's been consuming your time and so many governors' time in the last, last couple of months. I want to ask about the, 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 pol the mask policy, the mandate policy, because Vice President Biden last week called on all governors to institute a mask mandate. You'd already done that. But you've also seen firsthand what, how hard it is to enforce. You've had open defiance. Uh, in, in various pockets of the state and from various members of the community, and some law enforcement folks. What 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 challenge does that pose? And, and is there something or anything a president could or should do to make a mandate as issued by a state uh, more enforceable or, uh, or at least at least carry a, more of a moral force? When Michelle Obama really leaned in and reminded us about the awesome responsibility and power in the White House. Part of my problem in enforcing a productive, I shouldn't have to enforce it at all. People should expect that uh, it's your American New Mexican responsibility to safeguard somebody else and that it is accepted public health practice. In what universe, I was a former health uh, secretary, in what universe is public health initiatives flu was never politicized in this way, uh, and this country seen a number of flu pandemics. When you have a leader in the White House that embraces public health and public health science, then it puts a situation, it changes the dynamic in my state where I don't have people say, Trump says it's a hoax, that you don't really need a mask, that they don't really work. Uh, that creates an indifferent environment, which means you don't do as much enforcement because you have much more acceptance 
because the power of the pulpit in the White House is, in fact, a game changer. I've got Trump telling local law enforcement officials and individuals through the U.S. Attorney's Office that they don't have to care about any of this. Well, that makes it really challenging for governors like myself, uh, and that's untenable. It's frankly been unacceptable, and it's led to far too many deaths in my state that we could have prevented had we had real leadership on this issue and a federal plan in the White House. I think it helped. So, Governor, before you go, last question about the election itself, the mechanics of the election. In the state of New Mexico, uh, how widespread do you expect uh, vote by mail, absentee voting to be? How, what, what, what percentage of your state do you expect to vote that way? And do you, what steps are you taking right now uh, to ensure that, first of all, there will be no fraud? The president's, you know, uh, raised all the, the specter of, of a fraud, obviously, with, without, without evidence. But, but how do you assure people um, that, that, that there will be, you know, one person, one vote, no funny business. And what do you do to, uh, what are you doing to ensure that the votes will actually come in on time and be counted on time? Well, uh, so let's go to the first part of the question. You know, what do we expect? We saw a thousand percent increase in absentee ballots or mail-in ballots during the primary. So I am clear that New Mexicans are ready and prepared to do that. And we did that uh, with a great deal of success. We did have a ballot vendor, right? You got some of those ballots uh, delayed in terms of getting them to the post office. So we think we have that issue resolved to the highest degree. We've got our congressional leadership inspecting post offices around the state, making sure that their large sorting equipment and instruments are ready to go, that they're not being dismantled, that we're not removing uh, mailboxes, and we're putting drop boxes for your ballots in as many places, rural and urban, in the state as we can. And we have a much more cohesive, even with the differences in political parties, we have a very cohesive, right, local clerks, so county clerks, and a very aggressive professional secretary of state who is all over making sure that we do everything to both protect each vote and to make sure that each vote gets counted. And then we have barcodes so that we're tracking where our absentee ballots are at any given time in the process. We know who's voting. We know where those ballots are. Uh, and because we saw what happened in the primary, we are already ahead of that curve or the game uh, for the general. I think New Mexico is probably more prepared than most states around the country. Uh, and we've got a very specific right, Native American community we always have, where we are in those communities and those sovereign nations work directly with us for if we have to have them, and we will, in-person uh, voting or polling locations, COVID safe to the highest degree, and then they're pushing out absentee or vote-by-mail uh, efforts with us. So it's a statewide strategy. So I'm really confident given the issues, but I am not Pollyanna. That is, you've got a White House that tells people that there's massive fraud as an allegation that is intended, right, to create voter suppression. We're aware of that, and so we're messaging exactly the opposite to reassure New Mexicans that we're doing it right. We have a professional process. They've come to rely on that process. And frankly, if more states would do it the way that we're doing it, states like Oregon are doing it, this would not be an issue at all. And it's another trick employed by the White House to make sure that, frankly, every American vote 
doesn't count. And it's really outrageous. And I hope that voters uh, turn out and turn up for that issue just alone. You know, I, I just before you go, I, I have uh, been been looking at the polling on this, as I'm sure you have, and there uh, is a significant segment of the country that truly believes that vote by mail uh, uh, it will be synonymous with fraud. That's why I personally believe it is so important uh, for for state leaders, local leaders like yourself, to be educating people about what's being done to ensure that doesn't happen. You know, the fact of the barcodes, the fact that, the, you know, the, 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 the vote the ballots can only be sent in once. You can't vote 10 times. You do, your dog can't vote. You've got to be a registered voter. So I think it's a, it's a very, it's a very important message, regardless of what political, you know, how you're voting, just, just for people to understand that there are safeguards uh, put in place. I agree. Um, and you but, just did your part by asking the question again. There isn't evidence about mail-in voting. We allow, right, the military to vote by mail. We're very clear that this is an effort that makes more sense, that frankly, a paper ballot, particularly with, right, a foreign country interference in our elections is the best way to protect uh, and minimize any of that electronic uh, interference by countries that have no business, and as you and I know, that's completely illegal and unacceptable. Uh, but we probably haven't done enough to reassure because it's become an issue. At the end of every election, if I didn't get elected, it's because people who weren't supposed to vote got to vote. We tie it to immigration issues, uh, again, that are also untenable, inappropriate. Look, my mother is challenged uh, uh, to vote still in local elections in New Mexico because she has to have a valid ID. My mother uh, can't even locate that ID because she's long been unable to drive. And so you create a situation where somebody takes a group of elderly voters and then they're disenfranchised at a polling place. Uh, we need to talk about those stories and make sure that we're really clear. A real democracy, every vote matters and that we don't have widespread fraud. We never have that it's a ploy by someone who believes that if they don't suppress the vote, they can't win. Uh, and uh, thank you for giving me an opportunity to remind Americans that that's really what's going on. Absolutely. Well, Governor Grisham, thank you for joining us uh, here on Powerhouse Politics. Again, my apologies for Rick's uh, predictions. I will not <laughs> let this happen again. Okay. So if we if we find ourselves in this situation again, I I, I I will make sure that he doesn't do this to you again. Or so, worse, I think you know. maybe Rick didn't get out there and talk to the vice president. But uh, as I tease <laughs> about mm. that, uh, it was an incredible <laughs> honor. And uh, uh, Kamala Harris is an incredible running mate choice. And I couldn't be prouder uh, to have her back and to talk about what uh, a, an incredible ticket this really is. So um, all kidding aside, uh, go Biden-Harris. Uh, let's go out there and win. All right. We will be watching you uh, tonight. Thank you very much. All right, Rick, that is all the time we have for Powerhouse. Wait, wait, John, John oh, before oh, you go, before you oh, go, I got something that's just oh, too, it's too good to, it's too good oh. to let out. I, this is a trivia. I'm putting you on the spot. This, 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 this makes Mind me worried. I want you to do this. You, you what, should what you be got? worried. It's, this is, you can cut it out of the program if you get it wrong. You probably will anyway. But <laughs> a, a, a friend on Twitter, a listener on Twitter made this, this point to me, and it's mind-blowing to me. On the day that Kamala Harris was born, this U.S. president died. Who is the U.S. president who passed away on the day that Kamala Harris was born? 
um, uh, Truman. Herbert Hoover. Herbert Hoover? Yes, he's <laughs> right. 90 Truman years later, old. Yes. Isn't that oh a, just what a mind-blowing fact that is <laughs> to think about the confluence of, of history. That just six, blows Six degrees of separation. One day, that, that, that is, that's good stuff. That's right good there. stuff. <laughs> All right. Hey, we're going to be back tomorrow. Rick's got to go off to do political director things. We've got some stuff going on at the White House. Uh, I'm going to run to, I want to thank our team, Susie Luke, Avery Miller, uh, Trevor Hastings, wherever he is. We here at Powerhouse Politics will be here all week, but if you want even more convention coverage, ABC News and 538 will be bringing you daily shows. Check out 538's Politics Podcast for instant reactions the night of, and start here, Brad Milkey, for a morning briefing of what went down, along with the analysis of the rest of the week's news. You can find the links to those shows in the episode description. Please subscribe.